Hold on, hold on. Scrap that music. We we need something like fireworks and big uh, big horns and everything. It's episode 100 of Ingle Radio, the podcast. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, thank you for uh, being along on this amazing ride as we hit triple digits of this podcast. And to think, I didn't know either one of these two when we started this whole thing. I got a phone call from Hutch. I was at a soccer field in PEI. I didn't, well, I've heard of Woody. Heard he had a temper. Wasn't sure I wanted to cross that. And uh, now we're, we're on this uh, wild journey and uh, well down in it uh, with the co-founders of InGoal Magazine, uh, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. Congratulations, gentlemen. Uh, you guys deserve a big stick tap for what you've accomplished uh, online uh, with InGoal Magazine. And this podcast, you guys have poured your heart and soul into it. And I don't even know who jumps in there, but uh, <laughs> thank you and to you too, Darren. Uh, couldn't have done it without you. You were standing on a soccer field, were you? Because I was standing on a baseball field, or at least yes. in the outfield. So uh, it's fun that we were hanging out together there. What what a ride! And and you wanted a FaceTime. I'm like, I don't want a FaceTime. I'm at a soccer field, so I was like diving into equipment sheds and things like that because I didn't want to be that guy, that dad. But uh, but it's all worked out. Uh, and 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 Woody, we've learned so much about you and Snap your personality. Baby. And your dedication to the game and just getting rid of your angry feelings. My inability <laughs> to shut up. My, yes. One more my, question. My, 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 my warm-up stick. <laughs> um, we've now got guests that come on. And if I, don't say, if I don't say enough or talk enough, they're like, what's wrong with Woody today? Like, like It's just been 100 episodes of getting kicked in the nuts. I love it. And hockey shop, uh, thehockeyshop.com, uh, source for sports Surrey, been around for for this uh, great ride, and uh, want to thank everybody over there. I mean, I, I learned all about Cecil and Cam, and and we've been to, we've had uh, uh, the trip out to BC for uh, Teddy Fest. It's uh, it's all going to get back to normal, but uh, being able to continue this through the pandemic uh, with the hockey shop has been fun. Yeah, it has. And uh, as you said, not quite all 100 episodes with us, in part because of the pandemic, in part because we got started a little bit before bringing them on board, um, but can't thank them enough for being such loyal supporters through most of this uh, and looking forward to having them on board for another 100 episodes. And I think, you know, for me, it's great. I just get to go to the hockey shop and visit and hang out with Cam and find out about the latest gear and we got a whole bunch of fresh new stuff coming in for 2021 that I'm excited to share with you uh, through the eyes of Cam as it starts to arrive. And we've already had some sneak peeks and some previews at the hockey shop with some PK sessions, product knowledge sessions with the experts from each company. So looking forward to bringing you that in 2021. But right now, there's still time to save at the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com in 2020 and early in 2021. They're coming off their Boxing Day sale. There are still some items that are on heavy discount. Uh, all of the CCM Premier line is heavily discounted, still up to 40% off. Um, we've seen sticks, composite sticks as low as like $65 and $72, right into like sticks that are normally $300 on sale for $149. Um, you've got the deal on the, on the CCM uh, eFlex 4.5 line. Buy the pads, get the glove and blocker for free. So limited supplies there left, but still some available. Um, so whether it's saving money on discount items on last year's inventory, whether it's their expertise, talking to guys like Cam and his crew to make sure you get the gear that fits not just your game, but your style and how you want that gear to feel on your body, 
or whether it's the latest and greatest in next year's equipment lines as they start to come through the shop. Uh, That's why we go to the hockey shop. That's why you should go to the hockey shop and thehockeyshop.com. Hockey shop source for sports, proud to be a part of Ingle, proud to have them a part of Ingle, and definitely a place that every every goalie should just go check out, just like Darren does on a on a near weekly basis. I, I go in on, person. Darren goes online. I was on the website the other day, and uh, we were just sitting on the couch. And my wife said, "What you doing?" And I said, "Just looking at the Boxing Day sale at the the hockey shop, uh, thehockeyshop dot com." I didn't say it exactly like that, like my my normal broadcast read, but I'm like, I'm at the hockey shop, uh, looking at the Boxing Day sale, and uh, she's like, "What are you looking at?" And I'm like, "Everything." What do you need? Nothing really right now, but I'm just I'm I'm perusing. I'm 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 going through it, and uh, I am on there every day. So thanks to everybody for uh, for being along with this uh, this journey. You know what the correct answer was when she asked what you needed? I'm pretty sure that you need a warm up stick, Darren. <laughs> yes, I do need a warm up stick. Come to the dark side. <laughs> I'm picturing Darren's life being all broadcasting now. So his wife looks at him. What are you doing this evening, Darren? Uh, I, I've just got to go record uh, in, the In Goal Radio podcast presented by the Hockey Shop Source for Sports. Yes, <laughs> thehockeyshop.com. Uh, and uh, coming up, uh, Babe, we'll have the uh, Sense Arena feature interview, uh, just in case you're, you're wondering. <laughs> and we will have that. And uh, what a great guest uh, today to celebrate the 100th episode. And we've been zeroing in on this. Uh, Francois Allaire, uh, just uh, the, the grandfather of, of goalie coaches said, uh, and one of those guys that uh, took it on and changed the role inside the National Hockey League. And I can't wait to bring you that uh, discussion that Woody had with uh, with Francois because they go through the Patrick Waugh uh, era, Jiggy, and they talk about uh, so many different aspects uh, to teaching the game and what goes into uh, the philosophies uh, of teaching the game. But this being uh, the day that uh, we acknowledge our 100th episode, there's 99 in the uh, in the can as they say in the broadcasting world. Uh, anything stand out to you guys in, in those 99? And we've had, we've had some different different adventures o- over the years. I, I You know what? I'm going to go back to episode one, and it kind of ties into Francois there because obviously in the headlines recently because he's part of the Florida Panthers goalie coaching, goalie excellence department as a consultant. Of course, that department's being headed up by Roberto Luongo, and there's a long-time oh, relationship yeah. there that we get into in the interview. And... Episode number one of this, Roberto Luongo driving in the car with Woody back to take him to his hotel after we, we'd gone on a little drive to, to uh, visit someone. Um, and that was the first sort of inter- interview for the Ingle Radio podcast. And I'll never forget like getting back into the downtown core after this drive. And we're basically doing the interview in my car. And we each got a... We're actually, we're, back then, I didn't have two microphones. We were passing it back and forth. And pulling into traffic, and I've told this story before, but like pulling up to lights in downtown Vancouver and the person at the light next to you looking over into your car and there's Roberto Luongo talking into a mic, um, you know, won an Olympic gold medal there. So to me, that was one of my favorites. Also, you know, and and maybe we need to get back to more of them. Sonia DiBiase Fantastic. in episode yes. one and the stories that she told about CCM in the early days and Brian Heaton and the evolution of the equipment line. And I think that ties excellently into episode 100 because Francois Lair was a big part of the equipment evolution and working with the Lefebvre's and working with CCM. So a lot of synergy between one and a hundred and Hutch, a lot of good memories in between too. What are your favorites? Oh, I got to first off, just shout out to Sonia. I think that was great of you to bring her up because as we've said before, I don't think in goals here without our first meeting, Sonia, 11 years ago, I think it was in Las I'm going to go back Vegas. and listen to that interview again, because I learned so much about the, the just 
creation and the uh, evolution of goaltending equipment through through that conversation. So I'm going to go back and listen to that. For sure. And I think you referred to uh, Francois as the godfather of goalie coaches. So I think uh, I think we have to say Sonia is like the godmother of in-goal or something. It sort of felt like that. She was so open yeah. and friendly to us from day one. So shout out to Sonia and a thank you. So many things stood out to me, but you know, in the early days, uh, it has to be meeting Stefan Wade at the Montreal Canadiens training facility, um, just outside Montreal. And he gave us a tour of the facility. We sat in his office to do the podcast, uh, such a warm and fantastic guy and just a, a thrill of a lifetime to be able to do it at the facility. Um, so yeah, that, that the Montreal really... Canadiens and the Broussard, right? Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the practice yeah. facility. Yep. That's, yeah. yeah, that that's a marvelous facility too. Well, and he took us, it was off season. He took us right into the locker room. Yeah. Like we had a tour of the Montreal Canadiens locker room just with nobody in there, just basically walking around and, you know, all the, you know, all the, um, of the, uh, in that facility, obviously not the actual, yeah. we're not at the Bell Center, but even, even there, like just being in that locker room, even for a guy like me, who's been in a lot of locker rooms, you know, in the NHL, like it was just, it was a different vibe in the summer and it was just so cool to be behind the scenes like that the Montreal Canadiens <laughs> like you're, you're getting the look behind the curtain uh, yeah with, with the Montreal Canadiens well speaking and speaking of different vibes I mean it's always fun to meet some of these guys who play in the NHL but how about when we got to meet Hall of Famer Martin Brodeur that's a different vibe isn't it yeah just sitting down uh, we were in a coffee shop in yeah. a hotel lobby and 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 did that that was uh that was surreal, and uh, and young Maddie was along for that, so that was neat yeah. for him to experience uh, that. But that that's the most informal uh, interaction I've had with Martin Brodeur uh, in all the years. And that that was really neat to see him uh, as excited as he was telling those stories and and getting into the the goaltending side of it. Seems to be a theme with all these guys, right? That that mm -hmm. you can bring out a different level in them because they know they're speaking to a different audience because all our in-goal members are, um, you know, so obsessed with the position just like we are. And it's, it's very different than speaking to the regular press. And it was cool that I love the Berder one. It's definitely got to be on the top of the, amongst this first 100 episodes, but also because it was one of the few times where all three of us were actually there in yes. person yes. to be able to do it. Yeah. Let's uh, look forward to doing it was the only time, wasn't it? Was it, was it the, one and only time? Uh, Tendy Fest. Well, that, Tendy that Fest. and Tendy Fest. Oh, Tendy Fest, Fest yeah. right. That, Which yeah. was pretty cool, having a live podcast with an audience. That was something I hope we can do again one day. Tristan Jari was part of Tendy Fest, and now he's the number one guy with the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that, uh, you see the where we, we talk to not only goaltenders who are in the real throes of a National Hockey League career, but those that are, that are uh, coming up through the ranks, and, and, and Tristan Jari follows in that path. Yeah, and we had we had um, we had uh, Stefan Sigalet, Jordan Sigalet's brother, talking about sort of some of the concussion management stuff. Uh, I think we had Mark Dekanich, who had just recently retired, is now training goaltenders. And you know, speaking of equipment and tying it into the equipment, um, the gear segment this week with the hockey shop, we had Pete Smith from Warrior on as well. So um, there's been a lot of you know from at at all these different little ways of getting into goaltending we've had a lot of pioneers uh up and comers big names names of the future hall of fame like you said this, famers, yeah. it's been it's been a fun hundred episodes guys uh and maria mountain we should also mention maria uh has been along with us uh for the ride and uh she has uh she's a person that i was uh familiar with you guys uh knew her uh and then we all came together and i'm like you guys know maria too uh 
she works so hard at uh, at her craft and, and making sure that the athletes are prepared. And somebody else that, again, thinking back 11 years or so ago of Ingold, that I don't think we'd be here without Maria as well. She was a huge supporter right from the early days, both in terms of of uh, you know t- helping us you know in our first little bits in the business, and then and also supplying a, a ton of original content for for our members as well. So huge uh, thank you to Maria too. And it's a project, uh, this In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, that is certainly uh, geared towards what's happening in the world of goaltending, uh, the evolution of the equipment, the athletes, the approach, the uh, style of the position, but also for people who are of, of my age or uh, Hutch's age uh, that are still out having fun. Uh, Woody's a little bit younger than us but uh, and takes it a little more more competitively, but uh, the, the, the rec leaguer, the beer leaguer, and... Uh, and we, we love that. And that kind of goes into our gear segment this week, uh, because the pants are, I, this, when I listen to this conversation, uh, with you and Cam Woody, uh, over at the hockey shop, I thought, why isn't every beer leaguer wearing these pants or ordering a set of these pants? Well, and also, um, I noticed that the world juniors and credit to them, uh, there's a couple of goaltenders that both the German goaltender and the Finnish goaltender wearing warrior products out there. So, um, you know, kudos to them. They actively went away from the NHL market, uh, years back, um, and, and still aren't in the NHL market in terms of endorsements and, and licensing fees, but they've made some inroads, uh, coming up through the grassroots and, you know, it pays off with, with goalies wearing the world juniors. But I, I saw a picture of the German kid and, I wasn't paying close enough attention to say this for sure, but all these things you're about to hear about these pants and and the absolute wall they build in front of you in terms of the way they close, um, looking at him and sort of looking at the width and the presentation of him as he dropped in the butterfly, I'm like, and I knew they were a warrior. I'm like, is he wearing these actual pants? And hey, in the IIHF, I don't think the rules are, the, they're definitely not the same. I don't know if they'd make you have a, you know, a break on that inner segmentation. And if they don't, then as soon as you close your legs, this thing just becomes like, and you'll have to check out the simulcast video to right. see it. It's really but obvious it just, there. It's just straight across one wall. And, you know, to be honest, right from the original Warrior Ritual 1, I found these putting them on in the shopping I mean, right off the rack, a little stiffer. But that I remember those original ones, um, you know, uh, just... They were so different, and yet when you put them on, they moved so easily, and then they covered so much. It was just, it was kind of a no-brainer back then. The addition of the gear segment, I think, has been uh, one of the great parts of this uh, Ingle Radio, the podcast, and being able to have somebody like Woody and Cam uh, break down the latest gear, what's coming out, the advantages, uh, has been uh, one of the things that... uh, that if I wasn't part of the podcast, I would certainly be listening to because of that. So let's bring in Cam and Woody at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, Source for Sports Surrey, with a look at the Warrior Pants, the RX2 Pro version. Gentlemen. Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, out here in Surrey, British Columbia, the suburbs of vancouver for those of you who don't get to join us in person make sure you check them out at thehockeyshop.com and all their social media channels i'm back down in goalie utopia with cam matt with with the warrior rx2 pro pant cam this is a pant that uh, has evolved since i last had a warrior pant on um it's been a while since we've tested sort of that original ritual line but we were big fans of that me in particular for a couple of reasons the inner belt that 
attached sort of inside seam so that when you squeeze the legs shut, the front of the pen actually forms a brick wall. Never gonna be legal in the NHL, but man, does it provide a lot of coverage. And sort of the, the mobility underneath that wall, like there's a lot of room to move in this pen. So I always loved that it was mobile out of the box, that big square appearance it presented out front and good protection in the front of the leg and the inner belt. It's evolved. Walk me through some of the evolution, some of the features, what people like about this pen. I mean, you kind of nailed it right there. I mean, well, geez, we, should, we should roll credits. That's it. Later. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> oh, just... No, there is there is some differences between this and the older model, but you did highlight quite a few of like some of the best features of the pen. I would say like coverage and protection would probably be the key highlights of this pant in particular. Like you can see it as uh, you're sitting and also you can feel it and it's it's quite a thick pant, especially in the thigh. You're not gonna be worried about getting stingers to this pant. Yeah, it's gonna um, be like an inch thick protection along that. that very, very floor. solid uh, molded uh, foam piece. Um, very, very protective and also very wide, like you called out earlier. Like you said, you put your legs together. I mean, I think I took a tape measure and it's almost 14 inches wide, which is way, way, this way, like, way this past is like, legal. This is like 80s goalie pads when they used to back the truck over them to get them nice and flat and wide. Like it really does. And, and we've talked about this before, but that flat face and then the inner seam sort of that goes in between your legs when you close your legs in a, in a butterfly, it's a fixed seam. So it's not a seam that has movement to it. So when you close that inside seam, the pants literally snap flat across as opposed to the rounded, tapered, legal look of other pants. Again, to me, all that means is that, you know, you can, sometimes you'll have one that goes off your rounded pants and it'll leak through a seam under your arm. This just forms a straight flat wall that I would say more likely you're gonna have pucks come back out in front of you rather than leak through you. Yeah, or you can catch them against the actual pant wall itself, um, depending on your play style and whatnot. So yeah. it's like a blocker board, it's so big. It almost is, it really almost is. Um, as you kind of move up the pant, you start to see there's some of their segmented protection in terms of how it actually uh, molds itself. Two very nice thick uh, hip pads, basically, that aid in flexibility for the pant itself, um, but also cover that kind of sometimes uh, tender area when it comes for uh, pants-wise in terms of the gap that they sometimes have between the actual thigh block and the hip protection itself. Well, and I love that the, the, it's kind of three segments. You've got your front pant leg, you've got that, those blocks that are sort of over the front of the hips, and then a third segment attached to the barrel is, goes around the outside of the hip. So again, takes away some of those seams that can leave gaps in other pants. Correct. It's basically, you're walling up all of those areas that can uh, be exposed and you're not hindering mobility by doing it either uh, with the way that they've segmented that protection. So uh, great call out and also um, an awesome feature. Again, looking for protection in that upper hip area. Okay, so inner belt. Um, I noticed that, uh, like I said, uh, it's almost like it's built into the pant, but it's now removable. So Correct. not everyone loves it. I'm obviously a big fan of inner belt. Um, again, that ability to sort of cinch the pad on the inside and still have that max width on the outside, that barrel effect um, that the NHL's made illegal, but for the rest of us, it has a lot of value, both in terms of mobility, comfort fit, um, but also just thighs. We, you get to look bigger. You're not making the pants smaller when you cinch in the waist. So, um, but in this case, and like I said, not everyone loves it. It looks like this inner belt is removable. Pretty simple procedure. That's correct. Um, so to kind of rewind back just a little bit of like who this pants for and what it does. Uh, this is one of those pants that truly can both be worn tuck and untuck and excel at both too as well. 
with regards to that inner belt, um, it's basically just Velcroed in on the back side of it. And we can pull it right out once we take out the actual buckles themselves, um, which just pull out through those, uh, those nylon clasps there. Um, quick, easy in and out. Uh, I would personally, myself, probably end up taking it out because um, I do like to tuck in. I don't like that interference on feeling anything when I do tuck in. So uh, I would pull it right out. Um, for those that uh, don't tuck in, uh, the pant itself really tapers in against the waist as soon as you pull on that outer waist belt. So a lot of good integration for that uh, chest over top of the pant. I've actually got it cinched up pretty good already, but you can see how quickly you can tighten that up. Or if you want to loosen it up and just let it sit nice and big and wide, because as you know, if you're not cheating, you're not trying, but we can see those of us who are, those of you who are watching on the simulcast video, you can just see how when you close those legs, that pant just forms a nice big wide. And of course we're about, geez, we're almost, we're, we're two months in now of doing the simulcast video. So make sure you check those out at, uh, on Instagram, IGTV. Uh, also at YouTube in the show notes with the podcast, we usually post a YouTube link or actually embed the YouTube um, into the actual page on the ingoalmag.com website. Uh, links from the show notes in, in uh, on, on app, iTunes and other places, podcast providers. So make sure you check out the simulcast. Uh, it's kind of sad actually today. Again, once again, I'm the one doing the dress up. Cam isn't, which sucks because this pant feels so thick and protective in the front i'd really like to try punching you to see if it actually you know if, if you can feel it and yet i'm there's clearly no way i'm allowing you to punch me so we're not going to get to do that this week but cam thank you so much uh great to be back in goalie utopia this week thanks for walking us through the warrior chest or the warrior pants the warrior pant line and all the pant lines that you have in stock here at the hockey shop and the hockey uh if anybody has any questions on fit in particular like you said, uh, it's not just a matter of how this pant's going to fit me, but how's it going to integrate to my knee pads? How's it going to integrate to my chest protector? How do all those elements work together? Where can they get you with those questions? They can give us a call at 604-589-8299. And here's the 1-800 number. Somewhere here. Hey guys, I know you like to say I'm going to help you out by throwing the number in there, but uh, this is the podcast, not the video. So I got to let everybody know the number to call is one 800 567-7790. Or of course you can visit thehockeyshop.com. Thank you, Hutch. One day we're gonna make him actually memorize. Okay, thanks, Cam. Great to be back at the hockey shop. Check them out at thehockeyshop.com. Thanks, Kev. That's so brutal. Saying uh, can you basically were suggesting Cam put on the pants and and I'm gonna punch you. That's that's what you wanted to do there. I mean, it's kind of what I want to do. It's kind of what I want to do every week. No, <laughs> I like how Cam's playing along with the one eight hundred number too. Oh, that, he's that, not. He's really not. Cool. He's not playing along. He can't remember it. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's taking a few too many off the noggin. That's why I just go to the website. That's all I do. Thehockeyshop.com. com. Uh, I don't. I don't even fool around uh, with the one eight hundred number. Uh, let me give an I just a quick question here about the hockey shop. If you were going to walk in there and I know that you do it, uh, on a regular basis, Woody, but uh, just for the record, I strut in there. Strut. <laughs> yes. But before the doors are even open to the rest of the, you know, the public, Woody gets his own shopping time. Do you find like that the, the rose petals like stick to your loafers, uh, when, when you're done and, uh, and you have to peel them off? Um, no, uh, when you walk into that 
goalie utopia, Hutch, what's the first area that you would go to? I'm because we all have our sort of uh, niches. Is, is it gloves? We walk to the the wall of gloves, or do we go to the pads, uh, masks? Uh, where 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 would you go? Uh, two answers to that one. Because I live on Vancouver Island, I'm not over there nearly as often as Kevin is. So mm-hmm. usually I'm walking into the hockey shop on a mission. And so we've got a little bit of time. We're driving through town and there's something I need and I know I'm going to find it there. So I'm heading straight for that rack. But, uh, you know, the pads it, for me, it's the pads. I still remember having, I took between university hockey and then becoming a beer leaguer. I took about 10 years off and equipment evolved so much in that decade. And I remember walking into, um, you know, sort of a goalie superstore in Toronto way back then and seeing the walls of pads and just feeling my heart start to race. And I just knew I had to get back on the ice. And I still get that when I walk into the hockey shop and I see that wall of pads. Um, I think it's really special and symbolic to me. I mean, I know Woody likes to go try on every glove in the store and drive Cam crazy that way. But, uh, But for me, it's just that that feeling that I get when I, when I look at these things, got to also say it's, it's kind of fun to go in there and try about a hundred things on and then see Cam yeah. running around behind you, picking things up. Picking uh, things you, up. you feel pretty special. <laughs> see, I, I, I just, I, I just punch him. You guys do that to him. I see Woody getting right into his stance, like putting on those gloves and getting into a stance, holding the glove up at an angle. And you do that, don't oh, you? Oh yeah. Uh, no <laughs> question. This, I mean, why do you think I'm the one putting on the equipment in these in these in these uh, simulcast gear reviews and for the video sessions? Like, because I want to wear it, right? It's not because I mean I maybe have a you know Mister Dress Up sort of thing going on there, but I I <laughs> I like it. It's fun. I still would prefer Cam wear it as well, though, so I can try and you know test the protection from time to time. From time to time, I'm with you with the gloves, though. I go straight to that and throw on the uh, the trappers. Uh, the old school thing. And, and Hutch, how about you? Like you've come around to, uh, differentiating between a helmet and a mask and a trapper and a glove. Uh, I think we've made some, we made some progress there. A little bit, little bit of progress. I never know what I'm allowed to do. Uh, it's, uh, it's not a helmet. We just know that we, we busted on you enough. Uh, but, uh, but you can wear I- uh, a mask with Sensorina and uh, Sensorina VR and you put that on and you are right immersed in the action and Sensorina has come on board and uh, what a great uh, partnership uh, we're enjoying presenting our feature interview uh, with, uh, with the virtual reality part of the game and learning. It is a very different mask you put on when you put on the Sensorina <laughs> virtual reality training system, but it is an incredible experience when you put it on because as many people have told us, including NHL goaltenders, you feel like you've stepped into an NHL rink. So much so that there's no fans in that arena that you step into a sense arena. <laughs> so it really does feel realistic. But yeah, what an incredible system. We have been really privileged to be able to work with it now for a couple of months. And, uh, and it has been you know, it translates to the ice really is, is the quickest thing I can say about it. Um, in, in the past, goaltenders have not had many things they can do at home to train specific, uh, for going back on the ice. Uh, we can juggle, we can stretch, we can do some dry land training, but we can't learn to track pucks in our own backyard the way you now can with the sensory and virtual reality training system. And we know it's made an impact, uh, you know, beyond our, ourselves to some of the, some of the highest levels of the game. In fact, I was uh, having a conversation this week with uh, Dylan Garand of Team Canada, and I know that he and 
Devin Levi to new in goal premium members. May I add, um, we're we're uh, really enjoying working with uh, with the Sense Arena. Found it incredibly challenging. I mean, there's a question people have: What's it like when you're a really good goaltender and you put this thing on? And Dylan's response was: I think I missed the first fifty shots that came at me. So it is challenging, and I actually love it for that reason because you get the chance to sort of overclock your training. Um, you know, the chance to face some shooters that are well beyond your ability so that when you get on the ice um, with the guys that, that we are um, forced to play with, uh, the puck slows down in a real hurry for you. So it's an incredible training experience. And, and what do you've heard from a lot of guys uh, right up to the NHL that have, have enjoyed working with it? Yeah, and as we get back to play here in the NHL, I think you're going to hear and see more of this. It'll be interesting to see how openly they share uh, and talk about it with other media the way they have with us. But just look at Zach Fucali, who we had on the show and had tried it. You know, he gets the call up to Washington after the tragic uh, Henrik Lundqvist news that we, we got in the past couple of weeks. Zach ends up getting called up from the East Coast League where he was playing to get ready for Washington's camp. And of course, that means going into a quarantine. And what's he been talking about on social media? One of his big things that he's been using in the quarantine, one of his sort of go-to core items is that sense arena virtual reality system and using that to stay sharp when he can't get on the ice. I know Bill Ranford's talked to us about it as a device he sees as being useful to helping guys rest once this season starts, you know, maybe save you from having to come to the rink and get in all the gear and, and take live ammo shots. You can just use the sense arena when, when he feels like his guys need a rest and when I look at this schedule and 56 games in short order and a lot of three and four day off and another three and four, like six and nine type of schedule for a lot of these teams, um, I, I think a tool like that's going to be real valuable to the National Hockey League and, and keeping their goaltenders fresh. And I'm really fascinated to see uh, how many other teams, uh, and I know some that are trying it, but how many others get on board the way Bill Ranford has with the Kings because uh, I think we've heard from his guys and heard from him that they feel it can be a real advantage this year. So happy to have them on board with us. Happy that we've had a chance to test it. And lastly, I will say, if you haven't already and you have questions about it, make sure you just go to ingolmag.com, click on gear for the gear reviews. Uh, it's free. You don't have to be a premium member to read our reviews. And Hutch did a fantastic job walking you top to bottom what to expect, not just in terms of what it does and, and what some of the limitations are as well, but and almost like a user manual in terms of if you do buy it, what to expect and how to navigate the system and get the most out of it. So this is what shines through as really proving how realistic it is. And uh, it's got nothing to do with, with uh, looking through the, the virtual reality headset. But when I watched, I can't remember who it was the other day. Uh, they were using the, the sense arena and they caught the puck and they kind of juggle it in their glove and threw it off to the side. Do you, do you know the clip I'm talking about? I'm like, it's, it's, that's exactly what we do. We catch it, we kind of look at it, and then we throw it to the side. They were doing it, but they had the, the, the controllers and the headset on. I'm like, that is incredible what that athlete is experiencing. And we, we do that, and we'll throw it up in the air and then knock it into the corner off the blocker or paddle it away with the stick. So it's, it's responsive and realistic. And you just do those things. I mean, it's it's not because let's see what this VR system can do. It just happens. It's right because you're there because it feels like you're there. Yeah, hundred yeah, uh, percent. And doing it so that that's the sort of the outside uh, looking in at how realistic the uh, the whole uh, setup is. It's 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 wonderful. And 
Boy, we're talking about virtual reality with somebody who was on the ground floor of uh, coming up and changing the position of the goaltending coach with Francois Allaire. You talk about uh, somebody that uh, has experienced it all and knows what he wants to do and capitalized on it uh, from his teenage years to now in this next adventure and journey in the uh, world of goaltending. Francois Allaire discusses it all with Kevin Woodley on In Goal Radio, the podcast, the feature interview presented by Sense Arena VR. All right, we're joined now by Francois Lair, legendary goaltending coach, and, and back in the game with the Florida Panthers and their new goaltending excellence department. Um, working with Roberto Luongo, one of his longtime pupils, Robbie Tallis, uh, somebody that Ingle Premium members will know very well from some of the articles he shared with us, and Leo Luongo, who's done an excellent job with the, in the Panthers organization the last couple of years. I guess for starters, Francois, how did this come about? Like, where did where did the idea for this start with you, and then how did you bring it to Roberto and and get to this stage? Well, I'm thinking about that since a long time. You know, I was with the Ducks at that time and I was already thinking about it because I was the guy who was doing almost uh, all the all the stuff. You know, I was going in the minors. I was uh, coaching with the big team. Uh, Sometimes I was um, uh, going for scouting. So I said, you know, maybe there is possibility to make a department and try to have this... Uh, um, all the people in the direct line, the same direction, instead of having to deal with, with, uh, scouting department, think about one thing, uh, the, the other coach think about something else. Uh, so I would like to, you know, to see if it's maybe possible to have a better look and a better development for, for a goalie. So I was thinking about that and I, I just taking some notes uh, once in a while. And uh, last year, Roberto got his uh, jersey uh, to the top of the, the building and, and he invited me for the ceremony. And we talked a little bit about that. And after that, uh, he invited me for a game. So we talk again. And uh, this year, with the new GM coming up, he got a similar idea. And uh, so Roberto put us together. And we just decide to try to go in this direction and see if we can uh, can do something with uh, goalie department. Now, I talked to Roberto last weekend and he talked about the expansion. You mentioned scouting, that that was going to be a big part of it as well, whether it's uh, Leo in an expanded role or expanding the scouting department. How challenging was that at other points in your career? And how important is that to have guys that understand what you're looking for in a goaltender? looking for the same things on the scouting side. Was that something that ever, did you have to do that yourself in the past? And how big will that be in this? Well, sometime in the past, you know, like I got different athletes I, I bring to the organization, like uh, Jonas Seller or uh, Martin Gerber. So that's what guy I knew. So it's easy when you get the guy you already knew and, you know, they fit your kind of coaching. And sometime I received some guy and I said, um, well, Really, it's not my kind of goalie, and uh, they know how, how the way I coach, and they bring me this guy, and there was no chance we worked together. Not because he's not a good guy or a good goalie, but I mean, you have to have a certain relation in between the scouting and the the go- and the coaching, you know. Uh, so, so that's what the common goal was to 
make sure we got the Zurich line and, uh, you know, we bring, if we bring somebody to uh, Rob Talos or Leo Luongo, uh, we would like them to be happy and have a kind of outlet they want to have success. So that's the main thing. You know, everybody look comfortable because the young kid too, the young goalie who got a, a coach who was uh, happy to receive him, uh, that's a big thing for him. You know, he doesn't have to change his style. He doesn't have to uh, to make too much modification. And uh, same thing for the coach. He doesn't have to change his coaching philosophy because there is another guy over there. So um, that that's the main uh, the main uh, purpose of that. I think just getting everyone on the same page, top to bottom, from scouting right when they're. Roberto talked about that too. From when they first get to the organization to when they hopefully make it to the NHL, there's some consistency in the message. Yeah, exactly. And as a recline, I think it's important to uh, to have that because the, the, the ratio for success is really low. Um, the guy you get drafted and the guy you achieve it, it's really, uh, it's really low. So there is place for uh, improvement, I think. And we will try to find if, if is it possible to improve that part and said uh, if you draft a guy, you got at least some chance to get this guy in the NHL sometime for more than one game, you know, sometime like uh, 50 games, 100 games, you know. So that's a sign of success for an organization. If when your guy uh, reach the NHL and stay for a certain period of time, so uh, we will try to, to go in that direction and try maybe to find different stats or different uh, information inside our personal to make sure we got a better ratio of uh, success. I want to go back to how it started for you, because I think a lot of people associate, you know, your career with Patrick, obviously starting in Montreal, but obviously there was a start before that. And you're a pioneer in terms of the goaltending coach industry. How did you, how'd you get started on the coaching side? Walk me through that path, the early years, what your focus was and how it ultimately led to basically being you know, I, I believe the first guy to sort of coach in the NHL without having played in the NHL from a goalie coach standpoint. Yeah, uh, you know, I started uh, really young to realize that there, there were a big gap possible for coaching the goalie. I was uh, 16 years old and I was, I was saying to myself, it's impossible. We cannot just have two things to learn to be a goalie. That's what stand up and cover your angle. That's what's about it, you know. Nothing else. So um, I, I tried to take some notes. I watched TV um, because the only thing you can see a game at that time was Saturday night hockey, hockey night in Canada. So that was it, one game per week. And uh, that was the only big level we can see on TV. And I was watching games. Montreal Canadiens at that time was really big in the 70s. So... Um, I started by that and I said, okay, I have to go. I have to go closer to uh, the sport. So I tried to decide to go to university and physical education. So at least I got some principles, some uh, teaching uh, on sport. And from there, um, I wrote my books. I jumped on coaching in the early, you know, uh, early 80s. And um, I've been lucky enough to get different people who helped me out and uh, go in junior major and have finally American Hockey League. 
what who were some of the influences, Francois? Because when I talk to other guys, you know, like uh, uh, Frangin down there in Tampa Bay, he, he points to you as a guy who was an influence on him. Other coaches look at you. Who did you have to help you make those steps? Or were you kind of on your own? And was there resistance at the pro level to this guy who hadn't played? Because at that point, everybody else was. Uh, basically, I didn't have any mentors or, you know, anybody. I just decided when, when I finished university, my first thing I decided to do is to go in Europe and see if there was some hockey school. What's going on over there? I want to, I was curious. I want to know uh, what's going on in Europe. And I end up in uh, Sweden and different hockey school. After that, I've been in Germany and I've uh, been in France. I've seen different guy, and I said, okay, there was, there was every country, there was a different way to do that. I'm coming from Canada and everybody said the same thing. So that's mean there is possibility to, to do something else, you know? So I just decided, okay, there is the Canadian way, there is the Swedish way, there is the Russian way. I'm going to do my own stuff. I'm, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want. And I just start from that. You know, I just decide, okay, was the best. I, 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 I bring all the books on goaltender I could find. I read everything. At the same time, I was uh, going on the ice and, and teaching kids. So I developed my, my first impression on the ice. And um, so that was it. You know, I got, I got different idea. I, I knew the bottom of the net was really important. Almost nobody take care of that. And when I received Patrick at 19 years old, when he jumped from junior to American League, that was a big revelation because he wants to go down compared to all the other goalies I, I coached before. Patrick, obviously the relationship with Patrick is one that I think most people are aware of and that concept of butterfly and going down. How'd you come up with that? And how, what was that process like with him in terms of his comfort level with, I don't know if system's the right word, but style and that way of doing things? Because we've heard the stories about, you know, stand up, stand up, don't go down. How much of a battle was that? Was he on board right away? At that time, that was a big battle, you know, because uh, there were some people who were going down, you know, like Terry Satchuk was going down, uh, Tony Esposito was going down, uh, Dan Bouchard was going down, a lot of guys, but it wasn't like, uh, you know, all the time the same thing. That was sometimes, sometimes they stay up, sometimes they challenge, sometimes they go down, sometimes they this and that. It's That wasn't like a systematic approach to the butterfly. But when I started to make different stats at the beginning of my career, and I could, um, I could, I could see that was huge, a huge amount of uh, goals scored at the bottom of the bottom of the net. Uh, that was incredible. So I say, well, we have to cover that that place. And when Patrick came in the pro, I remember uh, Patrick said. Uh, Bill Montreal Canadian gave me um, a, a tape of Pele Lindbergh, and they want me to play that way. But Pele Lindbergh was a copy of Bernie Perrin, uh, so a stand-up goalie making a skate save. And for Patrick, that was an, uh, his idea to, to play that way. And I think I was the first 
goalie coach who said, hey, Patrick, you like to go down? Let's go down. So that gave me that kind of confidence. Okay, the coach is on my side for the first time in my life. There is somebody who says he likes the way I, I play. And I think right off the bat, we got a good relation because of that. And now you talked about statistics, and we've seen, I see statistics have taken on a bigger role in hockey, but you were almost at the forefront of, I mean, I don't know if, I, if, if analytics is the right word, but you really did study stats and how goals were being scored as part of developing your philosophy, no? Yeah, very good. You know, I, I, I make a lot of stats, like what kind of circumstances bring to a goal? Uh, what kind of situation the goalie have to face? what kind of shot the goalie has to face. At that time, not too many people were making stats on that. And I end up to have different information give me the chance to, to say, um, Patrick, I think it's good what you're doing because right now all the stats are going in this direction. So let's go, let's go a little bit deeper on that. And Patrick was ready to, that, to, to, to try it more and more. But the other thing was, too, uh, at the same time, we have the battle with the equipment because the equipment wasn't built for him. You know, he was going down, but the, the pads were not touching each other. So there was a big gap in between your knee. And sometimes when we're uh, loosening his pad, we loosen up his pads, his knee wasn't protected because there was knee, no knee protection. Um, he was going down and his pen were not touching each other. So there was a lot of gold five hole. And at the end, um, you know, when you decide to, to go butterfly to stop a shot, you expect you're going to have some shots on your shoulder or on your elbow. The upper body wasn't developed too, to put your body in front of the shooter. The guy will shoot from a slapper from 15 feet. Your upper body were not, were not good. They were not protecting enough. So we have at the same time, we were changing the way uh, the goalie were stopping there. Instead of just stopping the puck with the glove, the blocker and the pads, now we were using our upper body, we're using our knee, we're using uh, you know uh, our pants to stop pucks. Uh, we have to change all the equipment. We have to upgrade the protection and upgrade the size of the equipment, of, of course to make it, you know, better and easier for the goalie to use that stuff. Now, I know you were involved with that. I've heard different stories from the manufacturing side. Can you share some of them in terms of, you know, the level of involvement, how these ideas would come to fruition on, on how to make those steps, how to protect goalies so they could use their body, use their torso to make saves and get away from all those reaching saves that would, you know, keep a goalie safe because they were using their hands, but ultimately leave a lot of net exposed because of it. Exactly. Uh, we got a chance in Montreal to have a lot of uh, guy coming in the room every day uh, to fix a glove, uh, fix uh, a pen, fix. And at the same time, we were using this guy say, can you do something for that? Can you have a better protection for your shoulder? Can you add a protector over here? Can you add some protector inside the pants? And the guy was really, really good to, to do it. And almost the next day, we, we, got, we got what we asked. After that, some company come to us to see what we're going, you know, what we're doing. And 
And that's why I developed a long-time relationship with Lefebvre and uh, with uh, CCM and Rebox. And because uh, I think we got some idea and, and now basically all the equipment are the same. You know, the pads are flat on the ice. If the pad is 36 inches, now it's flat on the ice, 36 inches. That's something we were talking about a long time ago, uh, having the pads turning on your legs. Uh, now it's, it's basically it's everything, everybody do that. Having something to protect your knee, having your pants flat and, and touching each other to make sure there is no fibre. So now, now, you know, the protection, now the equipment is, it's perfect for, for what they have to do. It's perfectly, um, composed for, for the new job of goaltending. We've seen some pushback on equipment, obviously from the NHL. And I know over the years, you and your work with, with uh, JS, uh, Jaguar became a focal point where teams would point to it because you were developing new ways to close holes inside the rules of the time. They had to kind of change the rules on you. Did it ever feel like you were a target a little bit way, even, even though I know all you're doing is working to help your goalie stop pucks? Do you feel like you had a target on your back at times? Well, maybe, but uh, I mean, I mean, uh, Jiggy, Jiggy never, never used any equipment larger than the rules. You know, the rule was the rule. We were respecting the rule. We we're going to the limit to the rules, and that's it. Uh, of course, our job was to stop pucks, and we didn't care about too much about the other people. We were really focused on what we have to do. The NHL on that side, you know, wants to increase the offense. And they have to find different things to do that. That's okay. That's the part of the business. Our part of the business was to improve our goaltending, no matter what, uh, staying inside the limit of the rules. And that's what we, we, we did. Now they shrimp a little bit the equipment, but you know what? You cannot shrimp less than uh, the body inside the equipment. Now with a guy six, uh, six, five, six, six, you know, it's impossible. You have to have big equipment because the guy inside the equipment is way bigger than used to be 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And that's what we always used to stress at Ingle. Everything was within the rules. It was just finding a way to make the rules work for the goaltender. That's, that's about all it was. Now, you also did some things that could have helped the NHL with scoring over the years. I remember you telling me about the posts and the study and building a net that might have helped scoring, even though that wasn't your job. But can you share that story with our audience? Well, you know, and, uh, when we went in final in 203, I was, uh, I was surprised by, you know, we were not a team who were supposed to be in final, but we weren't in final with the Ducks. And, uh, I've been amazed over, over the two months we have, uh, made the playoff. How many, how many times we touched the post and the post and the puck went in and sometimes the puck went out. That would have made a huge difference in the game. That would have changed the game. But because we hit the hot side post, nothing happened. It's not even a shot at the net. Maybe a scoring chance, but not a shot in the net. But that shot beat everybody in the building. That's mean beat the other team, beat the defense, beat the goalie, touch the outside post, and bang, there was nothing. Um, you just change the configuration of the post and you just said, okay, the post, instead of being round, you just squeeze the post and, and 
you make all the posts oriented to go inside net, and that's gonna that's gonna change everything because I think a post beat everybody. You beat the goalie, you beat all the other team, you beat the defense, and you got no reward. I would say 75% of the time you got no reward for a post. But if you just change the configuration of the post, you can have the inverse. You can have three 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 goals in, one goes out instead of the inverse. That would be huge. And honestly, that that should be a reward for a good shot. But you know, NHL decide not to go in that direction. Maybe they are not ready because sometimes you got idea that take 20 years before uh, the idea is accepted. And that's okay. There is no problem with that. But also a little story. I tried to develop the concept. I propose it. I think they should have tried to give him a, a bigger try than what they tried. They just tried for one practice. That's it uh, with Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, if they would have go for some preseason or American League games, that would have been maybe different. But that's the way it is. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and we've heard a lot over the years uh, talk threats, I guess, from the other side of making the nets bigger. What I loved about your idea is if you make the nets bigger, then every reference point we have as goaltenders changes. Like guys that have done 10,000 or hundreds of thousands of repetitions would all of a sudden have to change where the net is, but your idea didn't make them. It would have been the same size net, just a few more pucks would have gone in. So I loved, I loved the concept. I'm curious what role video has played. We talked about statistics. Um, how did you use video as a goalie coach, even in the early years? Was it a big part of teaching moments, and how did it evolve over your career? Yeah, uh, you know, right off the bat, when I uh, when I got the chance, I was even in junior major, but uh, particularly when we go for the pro level, uh, that was one of my things. Every game, I watch every game after the game on video. At that time, that was a VHS. So sometimes we're going on the road and we have to bring 10 VHS in your bag. That was huge. And you need a VHS uh, uh, machine with you. But that was really complicated, but that was the way it was at that time. Uh, but even in Montreal, when I started to ask, because they were after the game, they were bringing one VHS for the head coach and that's it. I said, hey, I need, I need a VHS. So they buy another machine. So now after the game, there are two VHS. So after that, the other coach has for a VHS. So they bring another machine and they make three VHS copy for the game. I was, you know, right off the bat in the early 80s, I, I think I watch all my games at least one more time. And after that, I, I watch it with my goalie. So every, every game was seen three times, basically. So. I give you the time to uh, see a lot of repetition and a lot of movement and a lot of shots and a lot of goals. And uh, that gives you more and more idea and your game become more clearer than, than just watch the game live and don't study it after. The, the trouble was, of course, to uh, watch it with your goalie because you maybe you got some action in the first period and after that you have to rewind till the second period at that time and after that rewind again or or that's just really complicated compared to today. Today it's so much easier to coach with all the technology involved. 
Is that one of the biggest changes? I was going to ask you what's changed. Obviously, offense has changed. What goalies need to do has changed over the last 10 years and, and throughout your career. Um, but the technology, the video access, the internet, like is that one of the biggest things that's changed in terms of coaching and young goalies having access to more than, obviously a lot more than hauling VHS machines around on the road to get your clips? Yeah, I think, I think uh, right now, you know, the evolution of the game is the same, but the speed, the speed of the evolution have changed. Uh, you know, uh, when I start to do different stuff, different drill with Patrick in the, in the mid, uh, ET, uh, 80s, um, maybe we were doing different thing during three, four, five years before somebody do the same thing, copy the same thing. But right now, I can see if there was something new in the business, within six months, everybody, if it's good, within six months, everybody is doing the same. So that's why now you can see, you watch guys playing in, the, in Europe, guys in junior, guys in the American League, almost all the goalie looks similar. Why? Because everybody is looking in the same source and it, it's going way faster now. All the goalie coach are watching on the internet. They got all the game in the world. They got video. They got YouTube. They got whatever they, they need to bring the new aspect of the game really, really quickly. And as much as the game has changed, there are probably still some fundamentals and foundations for the goalies themselves that are have stayed the same. Is that fair? What would you say are the things that in terms of what you look for? I would say I would say there is a lot of stuff is still uh, in the game from the Hades. Like you know, you have to be a good skater, and basically, a lot of people said I I I start teaching Patrick to do butterfly. But my first first thing I I work really really hard with Patrick was the skating ability. I want Patrick to be able to beat the pass and set his feet. And after that, when he was able to set his feet, he was able to go butterfly. As long as you're not able to carry your body from one point to the other point, it's impossible to make a good butterfly. You're gonna make a half butterfly. You're gonna make a, at that time, two pad slide. Uh, you're gonna make a split. You're gonna all kind of movement. But as long as soon you fix your skating, and now all the guys are good skater. So, you don't see those movement, you know, you see more, less and less movement because the guy are really, really good to their mobility on their feet and mobility on the ice is way better, so much better than before. But that was the first thing. So this thing is still present. Um, you know, having a good butterfly, it's still present. You know, there is some guy who don't make a good butterfly, but now there is more and more guy who when they go down, they keep their head in the middle, their shoulder is square with the shooter. They look big in the net. That's still present today. Um, so there is a lot of elements who are still there. Like, uh, like you see, it's foundation and you have to work on that all every day. Still present. I've heard you say that one of the things that separated Patrick was his ability to make changes quickly, immediately. And I remember talking to your brother Benoit in Henrik Lundqvist's first year. In the, with the Rangers, and he told me this guy is going to be great because 
anytime we work on something, it's right away. He understands it and he can bring it into his game. Is that a skill that separates the greats for you? Yeah, exactly. You know, Patrick was a kind of guy in the morning. We're doing something new. And as soon as his brain decided it was good in his game, he could do it the next day. So that was incredible to, to see is, is, I think I say that high Q sport, high Q. Patrick was really, really, uh, intelligent athlete. He could decide in a hurry, this is good for my game or this is no good. And at that time, we were, we were questioning ourselves all the time. You like this? Would you do to do that? What, what can you do to get better in this situation? So we were questioning all the time. And Patrick was really, really quick. I was the guy who bring ideas. I was bringing different possibility, but Patrick was the guy who could decide, no, this is what I need. This is what is the best for me. How much do you talk to Benny? I mean, you guys are both like two of the icons of the game from a goalie coaching perspective, and yet your styles are very different. Did you guys coach like grow? Like, was there a history growing up where you both got into coaching or how has that relationship worked over the years? Well, you know, um, of course, we have been in two different divisions. You know, I was more in the West. He was more in the East. So we didn't see each other too much during the season. It's more texting and uh, stuff like that, you know, uh, FaceTime. But, uh, you know, uh, obviously, that's my brother. So uh, brother is a brother. And we uh, were really familiar to each other. and. Uh, you know, I'm really happy about his, uh, the time he passed with the Rangers, I think has been his best time in his life, uh, particularly with, with keeping the same guy for a long period of time. It's always good. You know, like I've been blessed to have Patrick for 12 years and I've been blessed to have, uh, Jiggy for 10 years and same thing for him with, uh, Lundquist. So hopefully now with the two young kids he's going to have in the net, he can develop that kind of relation with uh, both of them. And um, having his career, you know, prolong his career uh, the same way. So, no, it's, uh, I'm really happy for him is uh, having a good career so far. Last one. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit. You mentioned Switzerland because I've heard so many guys that went to that school in Switzerland in the summer um, at your school. Uh, Jaguar, obviously, sorry, um, Hiller and, and Gerber kind of came, like you said, you knew them. So you brought them directly into organizations and, and almost instant NHL success for those guys. The importance you talked about it of other countries and learning from other people. How much do you still like, do you still spend time overseas? Do you have camps over there? Have you continued to try and, you know, look for new ideas everywhere? It seems like constant learning has been a theme of your career. Uh, you know, uh, Switzerland has been a big part of, uh, you know, the, my, my development because I, I got so much good goalie over the years over there, you know, like, uh, A.B. Scher, Gerber, Heller, Thomas Voku. Uh, so a bunch of guys were coming there and that, that was great weeks to spend time with that kind of level of goalie on the ice. That was incredible. Cristobal Uet. Um, so, that was a, you know, a great time in my life. I, I did the same thing with, in Sweden as well. And we got a bunch of guys over there, uh, who made the NHL after. And now, right now, of course, uh, you know, I, 
I slowed down a little bit because I was on yes almost all summer. But now I got a little camp in uh, Chico, Czech Republic. And um, that's a lot of fun to go with that because I got different coach. Now what's happening is it's different coach, goalie coach from different country are coming on the ice to help me out and see me how, how I'm working with the hockey school and uh, watch how I develop the drills and stuff like that. So it's good for me because same time, I try to keep going, developing new coaches, goalie. And at the same time, we got people from all over Europe. So some years we got six, seven, eight different languages on the ice. So that's pretty amazing how we can, uh, how we can try to develop those guys with, uh, there is some Russian, Slovak, Czech, Hungarian, um, that's incredible. It's like a bubble tower over there. So that's a lot of fun. Still, still a lot of fun to go in the ice and try to uh, pass because not a lot of kids speak English really good. And so we have to talk to the other coach. Can you explain that to this guy? This guy speak Russian a little bit. This guy speak uh, Slovak. This guy speak German. So that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. That's a lot of fun. The language of goaltender probably comes through a little bit in terms of speaking goalie a little bit, phrases yeah. and terms. Yeah, no, that's uh, you know we got we we got different coaches over there coming up, so that's a lot of fun to to talk with them and develop with them, and uh, you know after the day we're talking about different stuff. They ask a lot of questions about NHL for sure, so um, I think it's a win-win situation. That's that's a lot of fun. Well, speaking of win-win situations, it sounds like you've got one going there in Florida with with Roberto and Leo and Robbie and yourself in a new department. So, Francois, congratulations. Uh, it's exciting to have you back directly involved. I know you never left, but have you back directly involved and really exciting for us to get a chance to talk to you again. So thank you very much for your time today. I know, I know our audience is just going to love this interview. Thank you very much. It's always fun. Wow, that is a conversation because I haven't had a chance to myself spend a lot of time with with Francois. I've been sort of in the area, but I don't know him. Uh, so that's as close as I'm going to get to spending some some real intimate time uh, listening to him talk about his experiences, both past and present and, and future. So Woody, that uh, that's really neat. It's fun. Eh? It was, it's, yeah. it's even for me, like I mean, we've talked over the years, you know, quite a bit, but not, not a ton. So even for me, it was really special. And, and to have this type of interview where, you know, normally when I'm talking to him, when he was in the league, when he was with Colorado, I think one of the most enjoyable ones was when Patrick was actually coming back to play in the outdoor game in Colorado. He was coaching the abs and then he was, he was playing as part of the alumni oh, yeah. game. And they came into Vancouver and they had a whole extra set of equipment for Patrick. And after a practice or morning skate one day, and we actually have this story up at the old Ingle Mag site. Um, we'll have to find a link to it, Hutch, and put it in the show notes. But it was Francois Allaire and Patrick Waugh on the ice. And I stuck around because I was hoping to talk to Frankie and no idea this was happening. Next thing you know, I am watching. It was like... I don't know. It was obviously they're both older, but it was like watching a piece of history. I remember those clips. 
the two of them working together on the ice, getting ready for this outdoor game and then talking to Patrick about it after and talking to Francois about it. But even then, like outside of that, it's usually was about his goalies at the time, right? Like when he was in Colorado and when he was in Anaheim and, um, but not like this, where we're talking about the past and coming up. And, and so it was a, if you enjoyed listening to it, I'm glad uh, for our, if our audience enjoyed listening to it, I'm glad I enjoyed being a part of it immensely. Lugging around VHS players and, <laughs> and VHS yes. tapes and, 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 and Patrick getting a, a VHS tape of Pelly Lindbergh to, to play like him. And then the, the relationship really came about uh, and, and was solidified with Francois saying, no, you, you will, we'll, we'll play it your way. Like, cause he, he wanted to go down. So there was a lot, uh, even loosening the strap because the, to make the pad move a little bit more and then leaving yourself vulnerable to injury. And, and that was, that was neat. Analytics. Like, yeah. you know, as much yeah. as we talk about analytics, like, like, Hey, the butterfly was all about him studying, right? Like it was about studying where goals were going in, in that era. And how do we prevent it? Like, so ahead of the curve in that regard, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, analytics is a big word, but it's essentially measuring events, right? And Patrick was out there measuring events using those old VHS tapes. Sorry, Frankie was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they came up with it or part of why they came up with it. So just so many different pieces of goalie history interwoven in there and 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 cool to hear it from, from a guy who was front and center. Woody, I, I know he would never want to go there, <laughs> but don't you just listen to all that, you know, how much he's changed the game and... Aren't you just dying to ask him what's next? Like, what are you thinking? What are we going to do with the gear next? Where's the game going next? I know he doesn't want to give his secrets away yet, but you've got to wonder what a guy like that is thinking. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. I think he's, you know, maybe he's a part of it right now. Um, You know, this is Florida with their goalie excellence department, Roberto Luongo and Robbie Tallis. And he talked about Leo Luongo having an expanded role as well. Like, um, you know, we're, we've seen other teams, Calgary announced it. We had them on, on with, uh, Sig- Jordan Sigalette and, uh, Jason LaBarbera, um, a couple weeks ago talking about, you know, that expanded role in the expanded department. And so maybe this is the next step and, you know, talking to them a little bit off the air, like about, you know, how they, how they view that moving forward. It really sounds like they're in the discovery phase maybe like they were in those early days with Patrick and doing the math and doing the video to find out how pucks went in and how do we prevent it? Like, you know, how, how can we, you know, sort of find a better way to evaluate prospects to make sure we're picking the right ones and, and those type of discussions that they're having. So he's probably part of leading the charge right now. So I'll ask you this question that just came to me as you were talking about this evolution. Do we believe that the number one goaltenders in the National Hockey League will get better with this new goalie department, goalie-focused uh, group, or will the gap between those in the ECHL and the American League just get smaller to that of the National Hockey League? Where, what do you think happens more? Hutch, you, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I definitely think it's about the guys a little further down the rung. Um, I have no doubt they're going to help the top guys, but I, I think it's about pulling prospects up through the system. So, so I think that's an interesting concept you brought up there, Darren, about narrowing that gap. I think the real judgment might be in how many of those guys, as Francois said, uh, go on to play a significant number of games in the National Hockey League. And so will we see the Floridas, the Calgarys, the, the Arizonas of the world start to develop more prospects? Because 
well, there's only two spots for goaltenders on that NHL roster. Uh, you can turn those prospects into other key positions on your roster. Like LA has. Yeah. So, so it's going to be fascinating to see what they can do. Um, you know, they say the best thing, one of the, one of the greatest traits of a good coach is to be a good recruiter. You have to start with something really good in the system. And how good is it for Florida? They've got the starting goaltender for the U S at the world junior championships, and they've got the starting goaltender for Canada. So they've got good prospect pipeline to begin with, eh, Woody? Well, and I, and I actually think that is the answer. It is It is about, and not maybe even so much about pulling the bottom guys up, is making sure, and I know this is a goal of it because I've had this conversation with Roberto Luongo, it's about making sure the pipeline is always pushing new guys through so that you always have an option. And the irony, of course, is they're on the wrong side of this with Bob. The whole point of this department, not not in their words, but if you read what they're trying to get to, and, and you don't have to read like read between the lines, the whole point of the department is not to have to go pay a goalie seventy million dollars over seven years. Right. The whole point of the department is to is to be on the on the flip side of it, like Columbus, who was able to let that guy walk, have two more guys coming in in Merzlikens and Corpusallo, and understanding that you had to live with some you know some hiccups at the beginning of of their season last year, because as well as it ended, let's not forget Columbus isn't in the playoffs last year, if not for the expanded playoff, you know, number of teams in there with the bubble, because they struggled at the beginning. So you have to be able to live with some hiccups. But the idea is to constantly have a flow of options so you don't have to rely on one guy or pay somebody else to solve your goaltending problem because you've built the solutions internally. And again, Columbus, it's not just about having the Merzlikens and Corpusalo, it's about yeah, they both had great, great, you know, second halves and they both had, you know, Corpusello had a hell of a playoff and God, we got three more guys so we can actually put both of those guys on the market this summer. If anybody's willing to pay an exorbitant price, you know, they were both made available at varying points. So it's all about creating a pipeline um, and making sure you have those next guys and you're absolutely right, Hutch. Florida is very set up already with that pipeline with, with Devin Levi and and spencer knight um but i think they want it to be like six or seven deep and just constantly be cranking out the best ones and and not to have that guy who's sort of a ceiling on everyone else like you know again the la is a great example but it would be an even better example if the kings had been able to cash in on quick a little earlier as opposed to always having to trade a backup for less you know like those are the types of decisions i think we get to with these departments Fascinating stuff. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, being able to save money on the salary cap because you already have the player in hand uh, really uh, pays off in the end, no pun intended, because of uh, what you put into that situation. So uh, Francois, I was going through Hockey DB and uh, amazing how many games he played in the National Hockey League uh, because he didn't and is at the forefront of this evolution of the goalie coach and one of the, the first guys that didn't play in the National Hockey League, but has been wildly successful and opened the door for a lot of people in, in that regard. And it comes up to the old Hall of Fame question. Why isn't he in and how do we get him in? Well, the why isn't he in part, I don't have a firm answer on it, um, but I think part of it is they just haven't had the discussion. 
And that's, I had a conversation with somebody who's on that committee and don't, they're not supposed to talk about it. And it's not like he gave great details, but I don't want to call him out, but they've never had the conversation as far as I understand about even putting a goalie coach in it because they view a goalie coach as an assistant coach and they've never put an assistant coach in the hall of fame. And my counter argument and the argument we've made at Ingle, and and to to be fair, we started this argument at Ingle when Francois originally retired. But the reality is, you don't have to retire to be considered to be a builder in the Hall of Fame. We just we've seen many go like Ken Holland's in as a builder, Jim Rutherford in as a builder recently, um, two former goaltenders. I <laughs> would like to point out, um, and uh, you know so. It's just never been a discussion because they just view them as another assistant coach. But with all due respect to the other assistant coaches, and hey, listen, let me tell you, there's some NHL goalie coaches that would like to be viewed as an assistant coach by pay standards because they usually don't make <laughs> no half kidding. as much. But um, the reality is the, the, the assistants you're talking about omitting haven't changed the game the way Francois has. And the other name that needs to be on this list, and he was actually one of the quotes I used in the story about Francois because... Francois changed, and I think the other guy that deserves credit here is, is um, Warren Strelo, because he was another guy that and he even started with the Capitals before Francois did, or right around the same time Francois was with the Canadians farm team, um, as a guy who didn't play the game and got in, but Warren Strelo's on that list, you know, and now guys like Mitch, that allowed, open the door for guys like Mitch Korn, who hadn't played the game, and now Hachu had some numbers where like, I know it's over half the league, NHL goalie coaches didn't play in the National Hockey League. So you didn't need to be a, have that been there, done what, that what experience was that number again? to make it. Half? Like well, more than roughly half. half. More than half. And, and I know we've got a lot of people wow. who listen to this podcast who are goalie coaches who aspire to having a professional career. And let me be the first to tell you, or probably not the first, uh, you can do it. 17, I think this was last year I ran the numbers, and 17, more than half of the goalie coaches in the NHL never played a single game in the National Hockey League. And four more of them played fewer than 100 games. And then another five of them played fewer than 200 games. So uh, you don't have to be a Hall of Fame goaltender to become an NHL goaltending coach. Certainly doesn't hurt. And look at, but, you used but, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and for sure it still helps. You're going to get that, that same opportunity. Much like being six foot seven helps you get drafted probably more than being five foot 11. But at the end of the day, uh, the goaltenders who make it in the National Hockey League are the ones who can stop the puck, and the coaches are the ones who can help guys become better goaltenders. And this is when you talk about those names, like we're talking about both Francois and his brother Benoit Lair. Uh, we're talking about Ian Clark here in Vancouver. How much have we talked about him on the podcast and the role he's played on the evolution of the teaching of the position? Stefan Waite, uh, another name on that list. You know, we talked to, he had made that move to coaching at a very young age when we did that interview with him. And of course, Mitch Korn. And, and I think this is where the Hall of Fame argument where, where the members haven't considered it because they just view them as assistants falls short. Builders get in for legacy and the legacy of a lair, whether it's the butterfly with Waugh, whether it's changing the way the goalie coach fraternity in the National Hockey League is made up, whether it's the equipment and the way it evolved and, and frankly forcing the NHL to change and adapt their rules to sort of rein some of it back in because again, none of it was illegal. But he went to the edge of the rules and made sure that he used the rules to his advantage with his guys. Like that impacted the game. Um, and I would argue too, again, we led with Alaire because he retired and it was time to have this discussion and make this argument. 
but it could have been made earlier while he was still actively coaching in the NHL. And now that he's back in an advisory role, I'm still making the argument, and I think it needs to be extended to include Mitch Korn. Because when you talk about impact and developing, like go around the league and look at the quote unquote children of the corn. Look at the amount of goalie coaches in the National Hockey League that got their start working with Mitch Korn. Look at some of the tools we talk about. Look at how many goalie coaches are grabbing medicine balls and doing skating drills now. White pucks, different sort of you know development tools. Again, an impact on the game, a builder role, building the game and building the sport. Um, Corn and Allaire are both in that conversation and it's a conversation, you know, frankly, I intend to hammer on every time I get a chance for the poor buggers that vote on this award with the Hockey Hall of Fame. So I'll be blocking my number shortly. Um, but yeah, this is a discussion we started. Uh, I'm proud that we started it. Other people have picked up on it and are, are leading it with us. And I am going to continue to bang that drum. Frankie doesn't want to do it himself. Um, we didn't ask him about it because we knew he didn't want to, you know, it's for others to decide, but we're going to help with that decision. And I'm not going to stop pushing because to me, it's a no brainer. Well, the whole idea that you had to play the game in the National Hockey League uh, kind of is is an old one because look at Bill Ranford. Like he played the game at the highest level, Stanley Cup, world champion, like MVP, uh, and he doesn't teach anything like he played. So it's, you evolve, you, 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 you teach. Uh, way different than than he played because of the the just turnover of styles and evolution of the game. So uh, I'm glad that that we had that discussion about the Hall of Fame and, and Francois. And you're right, Mitch certainly is is right in there. And it doesn't even compare to to regular assistant coaches, guys. I mean, don't no. we say don't we say all the time that the goaltender is like a, it's almost like a separate sport within a sport. You're you're an individual athlete within a team sport. You're like the head coach of the goaltenders. It's something completely different in my mind. And and I don't know assistant coaches, so I'm not going to say this guy is is you know should be and this guy shouldn't be. But if there's an assistant coach out there that has absolutely changed the game, they've changed the way we play defensively, if they've changed the way a power play is run and everybody does it now, well, they belong in the Hall of Fame as well. Um, well, they become head coaches. And they probably do, right? And uh, but 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 goaltender is a completely different position within the game and absolutely he's changed the game fundamentally and I, I i don't see how he can be overlooked forever remarkable conversation and great points uh from you two uh regarding the francois Allaire uh discussion and uh, that feature interview brought to you by sense arena vr uh guys my new favorite episode is 100 cheers to the next uh century uh, i look forward to uh where you guys are able to take this and uh, being along for the ride is uh, is so much fun. It's my favorite part of the week where we get to where we turn uh, a recording that uh, is usually inside of uh, fifty minutes to an hour, and we make it three hours because we uh, we it takes us so long to get going. <laughs> my wife was this is the second time I brought up my wife, but she's like that that you guys do that for three hours i'm like no no we spent the first two hours just shooting the breeze and <laughs> discussing right. what's going on in the world uh so it's a, it's been fun and uh, congratulations to you Thank and you. uh you should uh, certainly uh take a bow for 100 episodes and i'm going to go back and listen to that uh, sonia conversation uh well done and uh congratulations uh on behalf of uh, kevin woodley and david hutchison and thanks to francois Lair and cam Ken Matwood at the Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, source for Sports Surrey. Thanks for listening to 
episode 100 of In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, we can't wait for 2021 and beyond.